I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters from some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at E-Free. It's so great to be with you all this morning here in the auditorium. Welcome to anybody watching online. So glad you could join us today. Thank you, Mary, for reading for us. That was excellent. So we are starting a new series called Broken to Beautiful, and we are digging into the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And I wonder what you think of when you think about the first century church. When you think about churches in the first century, what comes to your mind? What is it that um, forms this picture for you? 
For me, I often think of the church that's in Jerusalem that we read about in Acts 2, where it says that they were um, selling their possessions to give to those who had need in their community, that they were um, eating together on a regular basis, they were praying together, were worshiping together, they were having communion together. And so the picture that I often get is this picture of a, a perfected church. A church that doesn't have any flaws, doesn't have any issues, that they just sit around and sing kumbaya together and eat food. Like that's the picture that I get. And then I look at the church uh, in the United States and I begin to think, what is wrong with us? Like, why can't we get this together? Like the church in Jerusalem, the early church, they had no problems. Why are we struggling so much to follow Jesus? And then you read the letter to the first Corinthians. And if you've read it before, you know that they are a very messy church. That they have a lot of going on, a lot going on, a lot of areas where they have missed the mark and they're wandering off the path and following Jesus, and now they're doing their own thing. That they're being influenced by the culture that surrounds them, and it's um, drawing them away from Jesus. That they are fighting with one another inside the church, that there's no unity, there's no agreement on things, but instead they're just fighting all the time. And so I'm excited about this series, because we live as God's people, surrounded by a culture that lives in ways that are opposite to the ways of Jesus. And so we have moments and places and times where we're being drawn off the path into things we shouldn't be drawn into. And Paul's uh, encouragements, Paul's commands to us are gonna draw draw us back towards Jesus in all of this. And so I'm excited for that because we need Paul's words just as much as the Corinthians needed them. I'm also excited because as we read this, many of these issues and topics are gonna feel like he's writing to us today that you're gonna read this at times and think, wait a minute, he didn't write this in 2023? Or he didn't write this to our church? Or he didn't write this to my family? Or he didn't write this to my life group? Like, it seems like he knows what's going on. It seems like someone wrote to him and said, hey, could you tell us a few things about this? And so what we learn is that even as a lot of time has passed, the struggles that people have with following Jesus remain the same in a lot of ways. And so as you think about the church, perhaps you have this strange mix of feelings that maybe you love the church, maybe you love our church, but you struggle with other churches, or maybe you love our church, but you're like not so sure about the church. Maybe you know that the church is God's plan A for sharing the gospel with the world, or maybe you know that the church is the bride of Christ, but you're like, man, this is a very messy bride, and what is going on here? And then you know that even as it's God's plan A and it's the bride of Christ, it's also filled with many people that need a lot of redeeming. Or maybe you feel disconnected from the church while still remaining interested in Jesus. Will we experience these contradictory feelings for a simple reason? The church is full of messy people like me and like you. That we're people in process. We're not all the way there yet. And so we're going to bring our mess into the church. Well, no New Testament church better embodies uh, the messiness of the church than the first Corinthians, than the church in Corinth is what I should say. And so we had a series early in 2022 called The Beautiful Mess, and we talked about how the church is a beautiful mess. And we're going to study this again as we go through the, the letter to the Corinthians. And for the next, sorry, for the next several months, we're going to dig into this letter And we're going to see as we study this that they are people like us who need grace and need mercy. 
We're gonna deepen our theology related to the work of Christ on the cross. We're gonna learn how to fight for our marriages, how to protect our bodies, how to reach our neighbors with the hope of the gospel. We'll see division, reconciliation, and newfound unity. And in the end, we'll begin to wonder whether the church is worth it, whether Jesus is worth it. We'll come back to our anchor points of Christ has risen and the love of Christ conquers all. So I hope that you've already picked up um, one of these journals out um, on the table. So there's going to be one table. We're getting low on our uh, journals. And so there's a few left out right as you leave through the uh, garage door this morning. Um, but if you don't grab one today and you still want one, we're reprinting more. There'll be more next week. But these are an opportunity for us to study 1 Corinthians throughout the week. I'm using a SOAP method, which we'll dig into more during, later on in the message. But it's an opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of how to read and study the Bible. And then my hope is that you would do this during the week, and then you would come and we'll compare notes as we go through the message. So this morning, I have two goals for us. The first goal is to give the context and the background for the Corinthians and for Corinth and what's going on around there so we can understand what's of the context that Paul is writing to as he sends them this letter. And then the second is to talk about divisions that creeped up in the Corinthian church and divisions that can creep up in any church if those um, inside are not committed to gospel-driven unity. So let me quickly pray. Father God, I thank you for your love and your goodness. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a family of believers. For those of us who know you and trust you and surrender our lives to you, we're family, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I pray that you would help us through this series to live as brothers and sisters, that we would live in unity with each other, we would live um, without conflict, but instead we would work through those things instead of letting them be uh, points for division. God, we're grateful that you do, you do not leave us um, in process, but instead you walk with us through the process that you don't leave us unfinished, but you will walk through and see us uh, to the point when you would say, this project is completed, these people are completed, and we're gonna stand before you blameless. God, we look forward to that day. Pray this all in your son's name, amen. On uh, the Sunday of uh, Daylight Savings, I have to be careful having you bow your heads and close your eyes for too long, you might fall asleep. So, but I am grateful that I have an excuse today if you do fall asleep, that it was Daylight Savings. So other Sundays, I don't have that excuse. All right, so let me give you some background information. Some background information on the city of Corinth. So Corinth is a Roman city. So most of the time when we study um, cities in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, a lot of them in the Gospels, they are um, Jewish-dominated cities. And so they're cities that were driven or organized by the commandments in the Old Testament. But Corinth isn't like this. Corinth is a Roman city, so the majority of it is Gentile or non-Jewish people, and they lived any way they wanted to. They had no commands. They had no desire to follow the God of the Old Testament or Jesus. But it was an important city that was located along an important trade route. So there's two large land masses, and to get back and forth between these two large land masses, there's a narrow strip of land, and on one side is the city of Corinth. So if you were going to travel between these two land masses and make trades, you would have to go through Corinth, which means Corinth was very diverse. So there was a lot of diversity in the different languages that were spoke there, a lot of diversity in the religions that were there, diversity in the races, diversity in the nationalities, diversity in the socioeconomic classes. There was lots of diversity in these cities, or in this city. The city also housed a temple for Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, 
And it was well known for sexual promiscuity. They had many temple prostitutes. People would go and sleep with them to worship Aphrodite. The word Corinth became synonymous with excess and sexual license, so much so that they had a word for it. If someone was Corinthianized, they had become very, um, they had got rid of their morals. And so if someone was like, hey, how's Tamar doing? She doing all right? And the response was, well, she's been Corinthianized. You know, Tamar wasn't doing very good. We need to pray for Tamar. So the first Corinthians, sorry, the letter, I keep saying the first Corinthians. Um, I'm gonna get this by the end of the series. So we say 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter to the Corinthians. So there's two letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians. That's why there's 1 and 2. So the letter to the Corinthians was written in response to a letter or multiple letters that Paul received from the church in Corinth. And we don't have those letters preserved for us in our Bible, but Paul's going to mention, he's going to say, the letter you received, here's what you need to do with that. The letter that I received from you, here's what you need to do with this. Along with this, there was a member from someone named Chloe. We're gonna hear about Chloe's household and I get a report from them. And so maybe they're the people that delivered the letter or maybe they just said, things are going so bad here in the church, we need to let Paul know what's going on because I don't know if there's gonna be a church if he doesn't come and get this straightened out. And so Paul was writing to respond to these different issues. There are two themes that these issues fall under. One of them is conflict with inside the church. There is conflict between people inside the church or groups inside the church, and Paul is wanting to deal with them. The, the second area of conflict, or the second area he's dealing with, sorry, is a compromise. That their church is compromising with the society around them that is non-Christian, and they are wandering off into areas where they're not following Jesus, and Paul is gonna call them back to faithfulness to Jesus. And so those are the two areas he's going to address throughout his letter. So he has specific areas inside those, but those are the two. Okay, with all of that context and background, let's dig into 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them to uh, 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. It goes John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So if you get to John, Acts, Romans, go to the right, you'll find 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians... Or if you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you're too far to the right, go to the left, and you'll find 1 Corinthians. So verse 1, Paul says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Or Sosthenes. So Paul is identifying who's writing the letter. They're getting this letter, he wants them to know who is it that's writing to. So it's Paul is writing, and then he begins to remind them of, his, um, of who he is, that he was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says that I didn't just volunteer for this job. I didn't get on Indeed and say there was a job opening in Corinth and fill out and get accepted for this. He says, no, God set me aside to do this. So if you remember in Acts, Paul is a persecutor of the church. He's trying to destroy the church, and Jesus shows up and says, no more of this, Paul. And he takes him from being a destroyer of the church and he turns him into a builder of the church. And this is what Paul is doing, that God has set him aside, called by God, by the will of God, to be someone who's leading these churches. So he's reminding them, when I come to you, I'm coming with the authority that God gives me to speak into your lives. Then in verse two, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 
So even at, so now he's saying, who am I writing to? He's writing to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he begins to unpack for them who they are. He's not just identifying your this church and this location, but he wants them to know as God's people, this is who you are. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You're called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're sanctified. I would underline sanctified if you're someone who underlines in your Bible. You might underline called, that they've been set apart by God to be his people. They're holy and they're together. It's not just that they're this one church in one location, that's all there is, but instead they're part of a bigger body of believers that God is growing and working in all over the Mediterranean. But he reminds them who they are before he begins to address what the things they need to fix. Then in verse three, he begins to address, he begins to continue welcome, I'm sorry, welcoming them. Grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul starts by saying grace and peace to you from God our Father, which is a normal greeting. But then he says, I always thank my God for you because of this grace given you in Christ Jesus. This is humbling to me as I read him say, I thank God for you. I always thank God for you. Because if you know the rest of the letter, they were a mess. There is all sorts of problems that are going on. This is a difficult problem that Paul has to address and fix. And he planted this church and then he left and they fell apart, which would be frustrating and discouraging. So it humbles me because I have little kids and they fight in my basement sometimes. And so I'll be upstairs and when I hear them fighting and I have to go downstairs, I never think before I go downstairs, I always thank God for you. And then go downstairs and then break up the fight. That is not what I do. I'm always like, why? Why can't you get this right? Like, why do we always have to go down and break up these fights? But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul says, I always thank God for you. I thank God for the grace that he has given you. Because yes, there's problems. Yes, we're gonna have to address this, but you have grace. God has given you grace. And so even though you you don't have it right right now, we're gonna get it straightened out. God is going to work a good work in you. And then, he's, they begins, then he begins to go into all the ways that they've been blessed through having Jesus in their life. So he says, for in him, you have been enriched in every way. So not just in some ways, not most ways, not a few ways, every way, Jesus Christ has enriched them. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony. So their strength, sorry, their speech and their knowledge has been enriched the way they speak to one another, the, what they know about who God is, all those things have been enriched. And then he says, when God confirmed the testimony about Christ among them, the way he does this is when they receive the Holy Spirit. That when you trust and believe in Jesus, and you surrender your life to him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and it confirms that what, you, what the person shared the gospel with you, what they said about Jesus is true. And it helps you to know that yes, Jesus is the son of God. 
that you maybe don't have this spectacular moment of receiving the Spirit, but you have this sense of God's presence with you in a way you didn't have before. And that's the confirming of the testimony. Then he says, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. It's important to remember that he's talking to a church. He's not talking to an individual. Because as individuals, we do lack spiritual gifts. We don't have all of them. We all have at least one. But when we're all together as the body of Christ, we do not lack any of the gifts. God equips all of us in certain ways so that across our whole church family, we have all the gifts necessary to do ministry. Then he says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into this fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That he says, God started a good work in you and he is going to continue to work in you until it's finished. That there's going to be a day that if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus and this process has started, there's going to be a day when you stand before him blameless because of what Jesus Christ is doing in you. God is faithful. God doesn't start a work and then give up on it. He doesn't start a work and then run out of resources. He doesn't start a work and go, oops, I didn't get the proper permits. I need to stop this. Like he continually works. Even when we feel like, God, it doesn't feel like you're working in me as much as you used to, or it doesn't feel like you're working in me in all, the reality is he's still working because he's faithful. And another letter to another church will say, God is faithful. He who started a good work in you will see it to completion. When God starts a good work in us, he sees it through until it's completed. And that's great news for the Corinthian church because they're a mess right now. And it feels like we started off and we're doing good and now we're a disaster. What is going on? Did God abandon us? And Paul is saying, no, God hasn't abandoned you. He's faithful. He's gonna see this through until you're finished, until you're blameless. So that leads us to the first takeaway this morning. Paul displays grace-filled love for this messy church full of messy sinners. So this is a very messy church. And there are a lot of messy sinners in there. But, God, but Paul displays grace-filled love for them. That his love is driven by grace. Driven by what Jesus Christ has done in them and is going to continue to do in them. He doesn't love them because they have it all together. He's not confident in them because they're good people and they're going to eventually figure it out. He's confident in them because of Jesus So now we're going to turn our attention to verses 10 through 17. But as we do this, I want to walk us through the SOAP method. The SOAP method is scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so scripture is just what are we going to study? And so if you grab one of the, uh, one of the, the journals, each week you'll have your scripture already laid out for you. But for tonight, today, we're just going to, discover, we're just going to cover verses 10 through 17. Um, for the sake of time. So then we read it. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say they were baptized in my name. 
yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So then once we read the passage, then we begin to make observations. Let's move to the O of soap, of observation. The first one we want to ask is, who is writing? Who is the person that's writing? Or who's the person who's speaking? In this case, it's Paul. Paul is writing. Then we go to, who is he writing to? Or who is he speaking to? He's writing to the church in Corinth, which is made up predominantly of um, Gentile believers that just came out of pagan lifestyles. And there might be a handful of Jewish believers in there. But the majority of them um, came from an an anything-goes mentality a few years ago. And so he's writing to them, trying to course-correct them as they are figuring out how to follow Jesus in a world that isn't interested in following Jesus. So then we walk through this slowly and look for observations. So one of the things that I notice is in verse 10, he says, brothers and sisters. That he identifies them as family. He could have said church people or individuals or Corinthians, but he says brothers and sisters. Reminds them that they are family. They've been brought together because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've been adopted into the same family. They are brothers and sisters, so they should be unified. Then he says, in the name of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's appealing to them in Jesus' name to agree. I think part of the reason why he says in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is because it's Jesus' name that gets drugged through the mud when we fight with one another. That if you work in some organization or business where there's cubicles, and your cubicle butts up against somebody else's, and you're sitting on your side of the wall, and you're talking to someone about how you're frustrated with somebody else in another church, or that this other church, they have it totally wrong, and they're terrible, and then someone on the other side of the cubicle is not a Christian, they're hearing all this going, do I really want to be a Christian? Do I really want to be involved? That seems like those people aren't very kind to one another, and they just don't like one another, and like, I don't think I want anything to do with this Jesus. And so Jesus' name gets drugged through the mud when we tear down one another whether it's in our church or other churches. And so we want to be careful about how we disagree with other people because it's Jesus' name that's on the line. And he's encouraging the Corinthian church to be in agreement. He says that there would be no divisions among you, but you'd be perfectly united in mind and thought. So he wants them to be united. And then he gets to the problem with why are they fighting? Why is there divisions? They're fighting because there's four different groups that have popped up in their church. One of the groups says, I follow Paul. Another group says, no, I follow Paulos. Another group says, I follow Cephas. And then the last, guy, the last group says, we follow Christ. And so these four groups that are threatening to destroy the church in Corinth and create four different churches or four little groups or whatever it might be. And so I'm not 100% sure of what's going on, but this is what I think is happening. I think the first Paul came through And Paul planted this church, that he shared the gospel in Corinth. And as he shared the gospel, people came and believed. And so they formed this church. And after about a year and a half, Paul left to go plant more churches. And so there's a group of people that are saying, Paul is the one who started our church. Paul is the leader of our church. I follow Paul. But then after Paul left, a guy named Apollos came in. And Apollos was a traveling preacher, and he encouraged them, and he taught them. And I think that Apollos was probably more eloquent, and he sounded more wise than Paul did. 
And so people are going, man, I really like this Apollos guy. This guy really knows how to preach. We need to follow Apollos. And then I think that there's a third group in there that are probably Jewish believers, and then Cephas is another name for Peter. And I think they're going, well, Peter is the leader of the Jerusalem church. We should follow Peter. We follow Peter. Our, our group here, we follow Peter. And then there's a fourth group that's going, what are we doing? Like, we follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who died for us. What are we doing? And so we have these four groups, and they're threatening to fracture and destroy the Corinthian church. And so this is our problem. The problem is that the Corinthian church was divided. People were fighting with each other. They had lost their sense of unity and of being family, and they were choosing to make their church about someone other than Jesus. They were choosing to make church about Paul or Apollos or Peter. So there's a Bible scholar named Warren Wiersbe, and he says this about the Corinthians. He says, instead of emphasizing the message of the word, the Corinthians emphasized the messenger. They got their eyes off the Lord and on the Lord's servants, and this led to competition. So now we go, okay, what is the solution to this? So this is a problem that they are not um, in unity on this, and they're following all these different uh, pastors or church leaders. What do they need to do? Paul begins to address this in verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Did you get some of him and you got some of him and you got more? He says, absolutely not. The same Jesus is the same one that you all are supposed to be worshiping and following. Then he says, was Paul crucified for you? Did I die on the cross for you? Was I buried? Was I resurrected for you? He says, no, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. He says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, when you were baptized, did I say I'm baptizing in the name of Paul? He says, no, I baptize your name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what he's reminding them of is what brings them together. It's not who the pastor of their church is. It's not who the, the preacher or the teacher is. It's who their Lord is. It's Jesus. And so this is the solution, is to return to Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, you may be wondering, why does Paul say, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you? Why is he like, I'm happy I didn't baptize any of you? Is he like, not for baptism? I don't think that's the case at all. I think the reason is because in our hearts, we have this pull towards celebrity, that it happens outside in broader culture, but it also happens inside Christian culture, where we get pulled towards celebrity, and so we make celebrities out of teachers and preachers, whether it's on small scales or big scales. But people were probably doing this thing where they were going, well, I was baptized by Paul. So just imagine that there is notable preachers and teachers in the U.S., that if you say Tim Keller or John Piper or Beth Moore, whoever it is, you mention these people that are well-known, that if someone was baptized by one of those people and they showed up in your life group and someone started talking about Tim Keller or baptism, they're probably gonna say, well, I was in Israel and I was at the Jordan River and Tim Keller just happened to be there. He was with a tour group and I was like, Tim, I really wanted to get baptized and I love your messages. Would you baptize me? And Tim baptized me and now I was baptized by Tim Keller and then someone in your life group, when they go someplace else and they're hanging out with some friends and they're like, yeah, you know, I heard about this time guy, Tim Keller, then you'd be tempted to go, there's a guy in my life group who got baptized by Tim Keller. Like, this is the weird things that we do as Christians. And I think this is why Paul is going, I am grateful that I didn't baptize very many of you because it's one less stumbling block for you. Because it doesn't matter who baptizes us, what matters is whose name do we get baptized into? Whose family do we get baptized into? All right, so our solution is to return to Jesus in the gospel, which then leads us to application, the A 
of soap, application. And then we work out, what are we supposed to do with this? So for their time period, it was to not make such a big deal out of Paul or Apollos or Cephas, but instead be wrapped up and united with Jesus. And so as I was thinking about this for myself, my application was to ask the question of, am I letting my church experience or my small group experience or my faith be most influenced by anyone other than Jesus? Am I getting wrapped up that I am connected to this person or that person that isn't Jesus? Because if I'm getting wrapped up in, well, I get to go to so-and-so's church, or I listen to so-and-so preach online, then I'm missing the bigger picture of saying, I follow Christ. Like, I follow Jesus. And so this is something we have to guard against. Because in our hearts, we have this tendency to just be drawn towards certain people. And so we go, well, I like Pastor Blank best. Or I wish Pastor Blank would speak all the time. Or I wish Pastor Blank would speak more. Or I wish this or that. And we can easily form these groups where we like one pastor against another. And it's silly because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're a family. Like if you were a parent and one of your kids was like, I like this brother better than all the brothers. You'd be like, uh, let's, let's not say that. We should love all our brothers equally. It's so the same way. Like, yes, we're gonna have natural connections with this pastor or this preacher or this teacher, but we don't need to get wrapped up with them. We need to get wrapped up with Jesus. And so another thing that can happen is we can find these preachers or teachers that they agree with us on a theological issue or we agree with them on a theological issue. And so we go, well, I like Tim Keller and I don't like this person because Tim agrees with me or Tim has it right and this guy has it wrong. Or I like John Piper because he has it right and this person has it wrong. Or I like Beth Moore because she has it right and this person has it wrong. But we don't need to be Team Keller or Team Piper or Team Moore. We need to be Team Jesus. And that leads to our second takeaway. Division comes naturally and is devastating. Unity takes effort and a lot of Jesus, but is life-giving. The division is, is a natural thing that occurs if we don't fight against it. Because what happens is we're gonna form these groups around who we like best or what we like best or finding people that agree with us on these issues that are secondary to the gospel, second to the deity of Christ, second to these important non-negotiable issues. And we're gonna gather around those issues with people and we're gonna push other brothers and sisters away because they don't agree with us on that issue. And so we have to fight against this. Unity, to be united as a family of believers, to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ, it takes effort. And it takes a lot of Jesus. It takes focusing our eyes on Christ and saying, I'm gonna hold on to him and he's what's gonna be most important and I'm gonna be able to sit next to someone that I disagree with on a secondary issue because we agree on the primary issue, which is Jesus. And I think in reality, we know that unity is life-giving and we know that division is devastating. Whether it's in our marriages, whether it's in our families, whether it's in friends, with friends. My guess is we've experienced this moment where you've had a disagreement with someone and instead of pushing through it, instead of fighting for unity, you just let the division grow and grow and grow and now you're like, we're not really friends. Or now we don't really talk anymore. And so we have to fight for unity. Because if we don't fight for unity, we'll naturally find division. 
my guess is you've experienced this a time or two in church, where you walk into church and generally it's life-giving. Generally, you're happy to be here with your brothers and sisters. You can look around and you can be excited that you're here with one another. But then some division pops up. Something happens outside the building or inside the building or it's a a theological issue or it's something that happens in the community and you're mad at this person. And it's a secondary issue. But when you walk into church, you see them across the way and it grinds your gears. And you get frustrated with them. And it begins to suck the life out of you. And you go, this isn't what church is supposed to be. And so the temptation is to say, I gotta find a new church. I gotta go someplace else. And you could do that. You could leave and go to a new church and it might be great for a while, but you're gonna find somebody else there you disagree with, someone that you, that's abrasive, that you grind against, and you're gonna to go to a new church and a new church and a new church until eventually what happens is you're all on your own. What happens is you find out you're all by yourself because no one else agrees with you on everything. And this is what the rest of society is finding out because what we're finding more and more is that people are saying, you have to agree with me on everything if we're gonna be friends. And so they become more and more lonely because no one's going to agree with you on everything. You hardly agree with you on everything. And so then you go, you keep pushing people away and away and away and away instead of doing the difficult work to be unified. And so this is what I would ask us to do. I would ask us to make a commitment to hold tightly to Jesus and loosely to our preferences to hold tightly to Jesus and hold loosely to our secondary issues. To say, Jesus, you are the most important thing and I'm gonna hold tightly to you because you're the only thing that truly matters above everything else. And all these things are important. They're important. But at the end of the day, I I wanna remain in relationship and community with my brothers and sisters because I'm gonna spend eternity with them. So, I have to imagine that if we as parents make our kids work through problems and issues so that they can have unity when they're little. And even as adults, my guess is you have adult children, you still try to do this with your kids as they're adults. How much more is God gonna do this for us? How much more as we, as his kids, is he not gonna work through this with us and say, hey, you need to go talk to your brother or sister about this. Like we need to be unified. I do not think that you're gonna be be able to avoid people in heaven and be able to say, I'm just not gonna talk to them. I'm not gonna ignore them. I I think Jesus is going to continually bring you together. No, my hope is that it just magically fixes itself in heaven. But if it doesn't, I think God's gonna sit down and say, you guys gonna talk this thing out. But I don't know what that would look like. But I I like to think that there's gonna be some people that are standing next to each other in line as they get in heaven and go, I don't wanna stand by this guy. And Jesus is going, that's exactly who you need to stand by. So after we work through those things, oh, real quickly, there, there are some people in our church that have been here for 50 years, for 40 years, for 30 years, for 20 years, and I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful because across that time, you've been open-handed with your preferences. You've held tightly to Jesus, but you've been open-handed with your preferences, which means as our worship styles have changed, you've said, that's okay, because I want the next generation to come in to know Jesus more and more. And as there's been secondary issues that could have been points for division or points to be divided about, you've said, no, I'm gonna hold tightly to Jesus and I'm gonna love my brothers and sisters in Christ even though we don't agree on this secondary issue. And so you've been a great model for us on how to follow Jesus in this way. 
And I'm so grateful for you. And I, I hope that as we go into this in the next, um, as we go through this next series, that we would find more and more where we can open our hands on secondary issues and hold tightly to Jesus. Because we need to hold loosely to our preferences because they're gonna come and go. They're gonna change, but Jesus is not. So the last part is the prayer. And for the prayer, I, I would encourage you, you can write your own prayer related to that passage. You could turn the passage into a prayer. But to take some time and pray as you end related to what you learned. It could just be thanking God for what he taught you through that time. Or it could be asking God for help that you know I have a brother or a sister in Christ that I need to have a conversation with. Would you strengthen me by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me to go have this difficult conversation? So let's pray together as we close. Father God, would you please help me and would you help our church to be united with one mind and heart that your name and the name and reputation of Jesus is at stake in our city. That if we do this well, it'll draw people to you that they will see the beauty of Christ. They will see our church and the church in general going from being broken and, and having these fractions at times to being beautiful that as we are united, it is beautiful to see people that would not otherwise be friends, you not otherwise sit side by side to be in agreement with one another about Jesus. Would you please help me and help us to agree with our brothers and sisters in what we say, that there would not be any divisions among us, that we know this is difficult, God. There are so many reasons to be divided and so easy for it to happen but God, we pray that we would not be divided, we would be united in your name. That we are grateful that we are united in Jesus. Would you please help us to keep him central and most important in our lives and not let some secondary issue be a point of division in our hearts or in our church. We want to be perfectly united in mind and thought with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Please help me and help us to pursue unity and to fight against division. We pray this all in Jesus' incredible name, amen.